Welcome to Archaeoed, a podcast about ancient civilizations in the Americas. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Barnard, and I've been an archaeologist all around the Americas for over 20 years now. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about ancient civilizations that I find interesting. Sometimes it'll be overviews, sometimes it'll be very in-depth information, basically anything I feel like talking about, because this is my podcast and I'm just having fun with it. I hope you enjoy it too. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and let's get started. Season 3, Episode 5, Moises Morales. For this New Year's Day episode, and lest old acquaintance be forgot, I've decided to tell stories about Moises Morales Marquez. Moises is most famous for his contributions to the understanding and preservation of the ancient city of Palenque, but he was just so much more than that. He was a genius, a sage, and a trickster. Hero to many, enemy to a select few, and I'm proud to say my dear friend. Moy passed away in 2015 at the age of 90, but I still think about him all the time. Perhaps I'm pushing the limits of this, this is my podcast thing, by featuring my friend, but he really did so much for Palenque that that alone makes him deserving of being part of a podcast series like this. My friendship with Moises was late in his life starting, I guess, in 1998. The next year, we became neighbors on his land called El Panchan, I in a house built for the mapping crew by Moy's son Chato, and he in a hodgepodge place he built over an older house. He had a standing invitation to our house for dinner, and he joined us regularly. He would ask questions about how the map was going, and then he'd tell us amazing stories from his life. Things like the time he drowned in a river and came back to life, or his adventures in France, or the time he went skinny dipping with Jacqueline Kennedy. One time after a story, he stood up, waved goodbye, and said, Next time I will tell you a story about cowboys. And I'll tell you what, we were dying to hear it. He was a great storyteller. So in honor of Moises Morales Marquez, I'm going to use this podcast to tell some stories from his life. Moy had a reputation for telling whoppers just for fun. He was cheeky like that. The stories he told us, well, they may have been embellished, and I can't verify a lot of it, but I imagine at least some of it was true. So I'll break this down into three parts. First, his early life, then his time at Palenque before I arrived, and then finally some of my experiences with Moises. Moises was born in 1925 and raised in Mexico City. Beyond a mention of wearing school uniforms in elementary school and some talk of his mother, he told me almost nothing about his early childhood. But he said that at 16, when World War II was ramping up, he lied about his age on an application and joined the Mexican Air Force. He flew mostly cargo planes and didn't see any action. But just before the war ended, he was being trained in South Texas to launch B-52s off very short runways. 
His outfit was about to deploy to Japan off an aircraft carrier when the war officially ended. That means he was going to be in the next wave of Doolittle's bomber attacks on Tokyo. But he wasn't. Instead, he was back in Mexico working as a cargo pilot. He met his wife Amelia, and they decided to move to Sonora. They spent years there as small-town cotton farmers and had three sons. By the way, those were the first three of a total of ten kids they had together. But when a combination of drought and falling prices of cotton did the whole community a one-two punch, everyone had to move. At a town crisis meeting, they said, Hey, Moises, you've traveled more than any of us. Where would you go? He thought for a bit and said, Palenque. As a cargo pilot, he had flown over the rainforests of Chiapas and saw the ruins from the sky. It intrigued him, and the jungle seemed like a lush paradise compared to Sonora. So, sixty families in the village followed Moy and his brother Carlos's families to Palenque. As Moy told it, they were not welcome. The locals didn't want a bunch of desert refugees squatting everywhere. So they told them they could stay in the trash dump, a little canyon at the edge of town. Today, that same place is the nicest hotel sector of Palenque, called La Cañada. But back then in the 1950s, it was still a dump. Many of the migrant families left to establish their own community farther out in the jungle. Nowadays, you drive by it on your way to Bonampak, still called Nuevo Sonora. But Moy, his brother Carlos, and their family stayed. They cleaned up the trash and built homes. Both got involved in tourism. Carlos started a hotel and restaurant, while Moises used his language skills to become Palenque's first tour guide. During his years in the Air Force, he learned English and French. He spoke both quite well. It was really a gift. The year was 1953, and Alberto Ruz had just found the tomb of Pakal. Moises learned everything he could about Palenque, from books, from the archaeologists, and from his own frequent forays into the jungle. When the first waves of international tourists arrived, he was ready to be their guide. Moy told me that those first years were just special people, diplomats, famous people, and millionaires. He met Rockefeller back then, who was partially funding Ruse's dig. He made friends with important people all over the world, even a few royals in Europe, and he became the guide to have, almost part of the Palenque experience itself. He was pretty darn charismatic. He even got a few trips to Europe out of it, invited as a guest lecturer. Moises had gained great acclaim with people visiting Palenque, but to the locals, he was still an interloper from Sonora. And truth be told, Moy didn't like them either. The only people Moises liked less than them were the archaeologists. He assessed most of them as fools and blowhards. So when the newly elected governor of Chiapas decided to visit Palenque, he called Moises to join him, the archaeologists, and the mayor at the ruins. As they strolled the ruins admiring their beauty, Moy asked the governor, 
What would you say to dividing up the land of the ruins and selling it privately? The governor replied, I would say this place is national patrimony and cannot be sold. Moy then said, What if I told you that Palenque is being parceled and sold right now? The governor said, I would stop them. Who's doing this? Moy pointed at the mayor and said him and his friends. And it was true. The mayor had been selling Palenque piece by piece. Even famous ruse had five hectares, which he quickly donated, and they became the ruins parking lot. The mayor couldn't deny it and ran off in a huff. The governor told Moises that he would get to the bottom of it, but that he wasn't safe there in Palenque anymore. They were going to kill him. But Moy said no, he wasn't afraid of them, and he went home to La Cañada. That night, an accountant came to Moises' house, sent from the governor. He was very scared too, but Moy said, ah, no, let's go have a beer. He strapped his pistol to his side, and they went to the local bar. The townspeople sneered at him, but no one challenged him. It was quite a macho moment, as Moy told it. Fast forward, the mayor's fired, most of the land's returned, and Moy eventually becomes seen as the savior of the ruins. Eventually. So Moy saved the ruins from private development. But that was just him getting started at Palenque. When I return from my first commercial break, I'll tell you about the next chapter of Moy's extraordinary life. This break is where commercials should go, but until I find people who'd like to buy the time, I'll just promote what I'm doing. If you like the cultures and places I'm talking about in this podcast, you should consider traveling with my colleagues and I. I'm the director of Maya Exploration Center, a nonprofit dedicated to the better understanding of ancient American civilizations. We do that through things like this podcast, our website, public lectures, and educational travel programs like I just mentioned. If you'd like to find out more about how to get involved, or just give us a donation to continue our work, check us out at www.mayaexploration.org. That's mayaexploration.org. Moises continued to be a guide for the rich and famous while his brother Carlos and family continued to clean up La Cañada and build tourist hotels. His disdain for the archaeologists at the site grew, especially when he began exploring the surrounding jungle and realized how much more of the city remained completely unknown. Then in 1964, a researcher that he grew to adore showed up, Merle Green Robertson. Merle was not an archaeologist, but an artist who had fallen in love with Maya art. Working with the U-Pen group at Tikal, she had perfected a method of making rice paper rubbings of the carvings, exact copies at one-to-one scale. She also traveled all over the Paten, making rubbings in remote ruins. Quite a feat for a middle-aged woman who, by the way, was almost completely deaf. When she arrived to Palenque in 1964, she found it the most beautiful of all the ruins. With Ina's permission, she began making rubbings, and that caught Moy's interest. 
Moy was always drawn to people with passion, and Merle had it in spades. The two became friends, and Moy helped her however he could. He helped her get supplies, build scaffolding, and introduced her to the man who would become her tireless assistant, Chencho. I got to work with Don Chencho as an old man in Palenque. You couldn't meet a man more kind, wise, and capable. In no small part because of Moy's welcoming support, Merle decided to stay in Palenque and dedicate herself to the study of its art. The product of that effort is her amazing four-volume set called The Sculpture of Palenque. Moises ended up building Merle her own house on his land in La Cañada. It's still there today, but now its address is on Merle Green Robertson Street. Then in 1970, Linda Sheely showed up. Another artist full of passion, Moy and Merle took a shine to her immediately. She knew nothing about the Maya. She and her husband David had driven a group of students down to look at Mayan architecture in the Yucatan. But when the road they had been following on their maps turned out not to be built yet, they found themselves accidentally in Palenque. They stayed for ten days, helping Merle with her rubbings and photography. And when they left, Linda swore she'd be back the next summer. And she was. And for the next few years, she was Merle's assistant. It was then that she became so interested in Maya hieroglyphs. She asked Merle and Moy about them, who replied that no one could read them. But they did know the people who were trying and Linda contacted them all, trying to create some kind of think tank. It all came together in December of 1973. Since most of the experts had academic jobs and families, they made their meeting over Christmas break, and many brought their kids. They would meet every day in the house that Moy built for Merle, poring over hieroglyphics and drawing them on a blackboard that Moy had found for them. And when I met him, he still had that blackboard. It was one of his strange little treasures. In attendance were a collection of neophytes like Linda and Merle, and established Maya scholars like Michael Coe, Gillette Griffin, and Floyd Lounsbury. David Kelly was supposed to be there too, but instead he sent his student, Peter Matthews. Peter brought a briefcase full of research and turned out to be a vital member of the team. Moises sat in on all their sessions. They were focused on the tablet of the 96 glyphs found at the base of Palenque's tower. Now we know that it's a list of four kings, with Pakal mentioned multiple times. But then they were just figuring that out. They recognized Pakal's name from the sarcophagus in the Temple of the Inscriptions and drew it up on the blackboard. The center icon of his glyphic name is clearly a shield, so they wrote Lord Shield under it. Moises spoke up and said, Why are you gringos giving this Maya king a name in English? They said, You're right, Moises, and changed it to Escudo, the Spanish word for shield. And Moise said, No, you Ivy League dummies, a Maya name. So they opened up their Maya dictionaries and found Escudo. The word was Pakal. So they erased Escudo and put Pakal. After a moment, Peter Matthews had an epiphany. 
there was another glyph that should have been Pakal's name positionally, but it wasn't. Instead, its center part was three symbols. Peter looked through his notes on Landa and Konorozov and identified them as three syllables, Pa, Ka, and La. It spelled Pakal. They had translated their first real Maya name, and Moises had been the catalyst. After that breakthrough, the translations started pouring out. That meeting became known as the First Palenque Roundtable, and that moment was the breaking of the Maya Code in the house that Moy had built. Over the next decade, Moy's celebrity grew. He was invited to lecture circuits in Europe and the USA. He would start all of his lectures by saying, I'm just a monkey man from a monkey town. And then he'd proceed to give the most romantic and intellectual description of Palenque that anyone had ever heard. Things back in Palenque were going great for the Morales family. La Cañada was becoming a tourist destination in and of itself. Moy had his total of ten children by then, and I'm not sure how much Carlos had, but a lot. Alfonso Morales likes to say, we're not machos, we're muchos. In 1980, a group of powerful businessmen and politicians decided to make Palenque a national park. Who better than Moises to help them pick the boundaries? Moises wrote an amazing article for the paper that year called Palenque Dos Mil, or Palenque 2000. It was his vision for what Palenque would be in the year 2000. The centerpiece was a perspective map he drew of the ruins, not just the temples, but the whole city. As the eventual mapper of Palenque, it's amazing to me to see all the places that only Moises knew back then. His map had funny notes on it, like, The waterfalls will be free of hippies and trash. On the bottom right it said, Archaeologists will realize that there are over 3,000 buildings in the city. So it was funny timing that my mapping project started in 1998. I only mapped about 2,000, not 3,000, but there were more out there. Moises was probably right. Anyhow, when the park boundaries had been established, the financial backers surprised Moy by giving him five hectares right on its edge. They said if anyone deserves to live within the ruins, it's Moises Morales. That land would eventually become El Panchan. They also gave him another gift, a young spider monkey. They said, you are Moy the man, and this is Moy the monkey. And so, Moy's 20-year relationship with Moy the monkey began. He at first lived in a cage in the lobby of Brother Carlos's hotel in La Cañada. He was a cheeky thing who would steal people's glasses off their faces and then smash them if they didn't beg for their return very nicely. One day, he managed to steal the radio from one of President Jimmy Carter's Secret Service men. And that was it. Moy the Monkey was banished from La Cañada. Not wanting to abandon his friend, Moises left too. The both of them took up residence in his land next to the ruins. And that's where I first met Moises and his monkey. I was traveling with Linda Sheely's favorite student at the time, 
Julie Acuff. She had a letter of introduction from Sheely to Moisés. I was just the guy she was traveling with. Moy didn't pay much attention to me, but I was intrigued by this old man living alone with a monkey, one that he frequently argued with. Little did I know that in just a few years, I'd be living there myself. And when I return from my final commercial break, I'll talk about my times with Moisés. The Ancient Maya Calendar I'm fascinated by it, and though I've been studying it for decades, I still learn new things about it all the time. I call it ancient, but I and literally millions of modern Maya people are still tracking it into modern time. Towards that end, I've created two products to help people better understand it. My annual Maya wall calendar and an iPhone app called simply Maya Calendar. Through these tools, you can figure out today's date, or tomorrow's, or a Maya date thousands of years in the past. The app will even calculate your Maya birthday and tell you about your personality traits and destiny according to modern Maya daykeeper priests. The Maya Calendar app is available through iTunes, but both it and my annual Maya wall calendar are available through my website, mayan-calendar.com. That's mayan with an n-calendar.com. Check it out. As I said, Moises had ten children. One of them, Alfonso, grew up to be an accomplished archaeologist. And in the year 1997, Alfonso got permission to run a project at Palenque. It was a real local boy makes good moment. I knew Alfonso from working with him at Copan and then again as a student of Sheely's in Texas. He hired my friend Christopher Powell as project director. With a growing number of friends in Palenque, I decided to go to the Palenque Roundtable after my session in Belize that year. Just before I arrived, the head of Ina in Mexico City had been chastising the site archaeologist Arnaldo Gonzalez Cruz about never producing a good map of Palenque. It was during a late-night tequila session, one which Chris and Alfonso were part of. Chris spoke up and said, our friend Ed is a great mapper, and he'll be here tomorrow. The head of Ina said, good. Arnaldo, hire him when he gets here. And just like that, I was the new mapper of Palenque. I showed up the next January armed with a grant from FAMSI. For the first two weeks, I hired a professional survey team out of Wisconsin, the Sweener Brothers, to teach me how to use the total station I had acquired. Moises, who unbeknownst to me knew the most about the unmapped parts of the site, took an immediate interest in my work. When I ran into some downtime as permits were being sorted out, Moises invited me out to the land next to the ruins, El Panchan. He had a plan to subdivide it and to give all of his children parcels and needed a professional survey. I did that for him, learning quickly how complex Morales' family politics can be. But he was pleased with my work and set about allowing his kids to use their parcels. Up until then, only Moy, Moy the monkey, Moy's German girlfriend Rashida, and a handful of hippie travelers lived there. When his oldest son Chato moved in, 
That's when El Panchan transformed into something very different. Chato had been a successful construction contractor for 17 years in California, but he had recently decided that it was time to come home to Palenque. My small mapping crew and I had been living in La Cañada for the first year of the project, but Chato approached me with a great deal. For about the price of my project lodging budget, he would build us a house in El Panchan. We could use it while the project was running, and eventually it would revert to him as a rental property. It was a great deal, and since I had made the map, I chose the highest, least flood-prone part of the property to build on. I sent Chato the money that fall, and he used it to build his restaurant, Don Mucho's. At first I was a bit upset by that, but Chato was good to his word, and had a house for us built by the time we arrived for the 1999 season. About that same time, Moises decided to move from the front of the property to the back, next to my place. So, we became neighbors. Now gosh, this is where it gets hard for me. So many great Moises stories. How to choose and how to weave them together. I'm not sure I can, so perhaps I'll just run through some of my favorite stories. First, how Moises lived back then. His house wasn't really a house. It was some kind of constantly evolving compound. He was always building some new part of it and changing where he slept within it. He used to say, it's not a casa, it's a cosa. His by-then former girlfriend, Rashida, had already established a campground called Rashida's Retreat nearby. Moy had also let a couple named Ed and Margarita start a little lodging business. So when Chato started Chato's Cabanas and opened Don Mucho's, El Panchan turned into a full-on hippie traveler community. Lots of travelers that they referred to generally as artisanos would live at El Panchan for months at a time. Chato would hire them as musicians, fire dancers, or kitchen staff. Those that sold jewelry or other trinkets gave Chato a cut. As for Moises, he became the grand old man of El Panchan, followed everywhere by his entourage of dogs. He made a few rental rooms in a gathering salon in the middle of his house, but he never really rented them out. Instead, he'd just let attractive hippie girls stay there for free. He would stroll into Don Mucho's with his dogs, and beautiful girls would swarm his table. He was living large. And we, the mapping crew, always had a seat at his table, as he regaled us all with his great storytelling. Things were going fine in El Panchan until what we now collectively refer to as the Drum Wars. Our friend Carol Karasik actually wrote a book about those days called The Drum Wars. Highly entertaining, I suggest you read it and I'll put an Amazon link to it in my show notes. Basically, it was drum circles that went on day and night. No one could sleep or even talk over them sometimes. Moy, Chato, and his other son Beto got sick of it, and they asked them to leave. They didn't, blathering something about, it's a free world, and that was a mistake. The Morales took to raiding the drum circles, firing their guns in the air and punching the people who still wouldn't stop. A stupid group of them went just outside El Panchan's fence and kept drumming. The Morales stepped through the fence and beat them up too. 
One morning, Moe told me how he went into a drum circle the night before and kicked the fire pit at them. Some kid then got in Moe's face playing a flute, and Moe pistol-whipped it out of his mouth. A few months later, I was at a restaurant at Lake Atitlan and heard a kid telling his friends, And then a crazy old man came and kicked our fire. I tried to chill him out with some cool flute tunes, and he hit me in the face with a gun. Classic Moy. There was another kid who was molesting girls in their hammocks at night. Moy caught him, and the kid said, What are you going to do? There's no police around here to help you. Moy calmly said, No, and they won't help you either. Then he tackled the kid and told someone to get him a rope. He tied it around the kid's neck and then hoisted him up on a tree until he begged for his life. Moy kicked him in the ass as he ran away crying. If you've never seen a 70-year-old man whip an 18-year-old, I highly recommend it. So many stories. What to tell next? Well, here's one of my favorites. The forestry department was constantly on top of my mapping project, trying to shut us down for cutting trees. One ranger in particular kept asking me for bribes to keep us safe. I would just pretend that I didn't know what he was saying. So one Saturday morning, he showed up with Moises at my front door. Moise said, this guy wants me to translate for him. He went into his pitch in Spanish. There'll be a meeting in Tuxla Gutierrez to shut my project down. He could go and defend us, but he needed money for bus fare, hotels, and food. I understood it all. When he was done, he motioned to Moises. With a straight face, Moy said, This miserable bastard wants a bribe from you. The other rangers hate him, and he will be fired soon. He looked at me, smiling, like, You get it now? Oh yes, I got it. But I said thank you, but I'd take my chances, and we were never shut down. Okay, time for one more. How about the time that Moy very publicly shamed the archaeologists at Palenque? The Mexican equivalent of Good Morning America decided to do a show on-site from the ruins of Palenque. The big event was to be their chief correspondent going down into the tomb of Pakal with the famous Moises Morales. But when they got down there, on live television, Moises hijacked the show. He looked into the camera and said, Mexico, the archaeologists have just discovered the most beautiful carved panel ever found at Palenque, and they are hiding it from you. You want to see it. Demand to see it. It's your patrimony. And that was true. The Temple 22 bench panels had just been found. Ina quickly scrambled, publishing a book and putting the panels in the on-site museum. They were pissed at Moy and banned him from the ruins. But he stood at the front gate of the ruins with a sign that said, Ina banned me for telling the truth. Ask me about it. Until they had to let him back in. And that's how Moy was, from the beginning until the end of his life. My life got complicated, and though I dreamed of living in Palenque, I was in Austin when Moy passed away in 2015. I really regret not being there for his funeral. Someone should really write a biography of Moy's life. The trouble is that I don't think anyone knows his full story. But now, you know at least a little bit about him. 
the monkey man from a monkey town, without whom Palenque would be a vastly different place today. Until next month, this is Ed, signing off. You've been listening to Archeo Ed, a podcast written, produced, and distributed by me, Ed Barnhart. If you liked what you heard, then subscribe, like, share, comment, and do all those other things that I'm supposed to ask you to do. If you didn't, then don't do any of that stuff. And if you really liked it, support Archeo Ed through my Patreon account. I make these podcasts for free, but I am not opposed to financial support. Until next time, thanks for listening. All rights reserved. Copyright 2020.